Hey, welcome to Grace. Um, we had a technical problem today and our message didn't record in the church. And so I'm just going to take a little bit of time to re-preach this message for you. It was a really important message for our church and our church family as we uh, engaged in our second week of Engage. Um, if you're just joining us or you're just checking out our church uh, for the first time, uh, we started a new series. It is called Engaged. It's a great series. Uh, we noticed that post-COVID that uh, we had some people returning to the church, but not everybody's re-engaging uh, the way that we think uh, God wants us to, uh, whether that's engaging in service or engaging in relationship, engaging with their family. Uh, we're finding that engagement's just down. So last week we started this series. We started with a big luau party. A lot of people ask us why a luau party. Well, you know, we, we preached a very short message last week, uh, 10, 10 minutes in the max, about five probably, and then had some music. And then we just wanted to hang out and enjoy each other's company. So we hung out. Um, had some pulled pork that was really well made by some of the men of our church and our deacons served us the food and we were able to play games and just enjoy each other's company because we have to build a relationship with one another if we're going to engage and be a New Testament church. Uh, one of the goals that we had during that first week was to get people involved in what we call growth groups. And those are groups where you get together uh, at another time other than Sunday service and you talk about your life. You share the wins that God's doing in your life. You share God's word, how it's engaging you. And you share the things you're wrestling with. And so we want every person that attends Grace to get connected or launch a growth group. Because that's where you really get to share your life and engage. And this week I'm going to talk about uh, engaging in a terminal shift. And uh, a lot of people have been really interested in the end times lately. Whether it's, you know, when is the Antichrist going to come and, um, you know, when is the Lord going to return? Some of you want to name the Antichrist. I think you've named pretty much every past president we've had probably for the past 10, 15 years. None of you have been right yet. Okay. Uh, but I think we ask a lot of times the wrong questions regarding the end times. When we look at the, the first church, we begin to see that they were much more concerned about their behavior and how they were reaching their community because they were expecting that the end would come anytime soon. It's funny that their behavior was rushing forward to share what we call the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, so that everybody could spend eternity with God. That was their focal point. Our focal point seems to be more just you know, intellectual and wanting to know specific things about the end times. And, and I think that God wants to give us a terminal shift. I think he wants us to think very differently, uh, especially on the terminal ends of the end times. Now, I became a believer um, actually um, in uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, my uh, my father-in-law at the time shared Matthew 24 through 25 with me, which is a part of uh, uh, the book that talks into the end times. And specifically, there's one part where, where Jesus is addressing through a parable, something we call the parable of talents. I think that this parable is sandwiched in these two chapters about the end times because God wants us to be reminded there's something far more important about the end times than all the data or when he's returning or what it's going to look like. And, you know, what, what interpretive lens should we use to understand that? And, you know, who the Antichrist is. There's something much bigger. And, and the thing that's bigger is the thing that should be driving the church today. It should be helping the church to engage in a completely different way. Now, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Just looking at these verses. And again, this amazing parable. I'm going to put it on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. 
and you can follow along with me. So let's read this together. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Again, uh, looking at the end times, but maybe with a completely different lens. All right. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to the other, two talents, and to another, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has been given more, for everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, when we read this parable and, and we look at it, one of the things that is going to be uh, difficult for us to understand is to contextualize it. So first of all, Jesus is the, is the master in this parable. He, he's the one that's giving the parable. He's the man in the parable. And the servants represent different people within the community, uh, especially the community of faith. And so some of them are faithful, and the one in particular is unfaithful. And Jesus' words might seem a bit harsh or even over the top when it comes to actual understanding because it seems like this is something about just managing money, but there's something bigger here. There's something larger and so I'm hoping to take you through that and give you a new perspective, not only on the end times, but on Jesus's expectation regarding those that are servants within his church. So let's look at it together. So the first thing about engaging servants is this. You need to understand engaged servants value what's been entrusted to them. Engaged servants value what has been entrusted to them. Now, as we try to understand this, the way we understand the value of what's being talked about here, we need to understand what a talent actually is. Now, when we think of it, a lot of people have called it money. Uh, people have called it, uh, literally, they've tried to say it's the talents that you have that, are, that you're gifting. But, but really, a talent understood biblically uh, back then is a weight. It's a measure. 
And you could have a talent of gold, a talent of silver, a talent of all kinds of different things. And most of the time in Jesus's day, it was a talent of silver. And if you were to equate a talent of silver, it was essentially about uh, 15 years of a working man's wage. So it was a lot. So if we consider a working man who's in the poverty, right? He's, he's just barely making it. He's making $25,000 a year for 15 years. That means that one talent would equal about $375,000. Two talents would be about three quarters of a million. And five talents would be just short of two million. And those are conservative measurements. Many people put the value of a talent much larger than I have. But what I want you to see is the people that heard this, that Jesus was speaking to, would have understood it to be an astronomical amount of money to manage. And he wanted them to see the deep value. And they understood this was valuable and that Jesus had entrusted something of great value to them. And Jesus is the one that entrusted it to them. Now, the idea of entrusting it to a person is the idea of stewardship. It's a word we don't use much today, but stewardship is like the word of management. And it has the idea, and when we talk about what we manage, we manage time, we manage talents, and we measure treasure. That's the three things you'll typically hear within the church. And what we're talking about is, if we break those down, is is our finances, our gifting, and how we leverage our time. And those are the things that we're managing. Now, here's the thing. The reason that it's a stewardship or we're managing or it's entrusted to us is every single one of those things of great value are all gifts from God. We don't own them. They're not ours. We manage them. And so, therefore, because we manage them, you and I will one day give an account on how we used our money, on how we used our gifting, and how we organized our time. And it is of great value to us. And I think it's even of greater value to the Lord because one of the things I'm going to share with you is while time, talent, and treasure or gifting, money, and time are things that we think are very valuable, there's actually something in this text that's of even greater value that we're supposed to use our finances, our gifting, and our time to really grab hold of. So we're going to get to that in a moment. So engaged servants value what's been entrusted to them. That, that's one of the things that's been entrusted to us. Engaged servants also choose wisely how they invest. Engaged servants choose wisely how they invest. The man who received those five talents, he doubled it. The man who received the two, he doubled it. Uh, now, w- one of the things you need to understand is these people were not equally gifted. I think one of the things that, that's hurt us in our culture is a lot of times in school you'll hear, well, you're special. You're special. And, and ironically, we're really not that special. I'm not that special. Um, but what I would say that is something we need to grab hold of is while we're not special, what we are is unique. Each and every person, everybody listening to this right now, you are uniquely made, uniquely gifted. You, you have been uniquely placed in a position of life with where your finances are and your time. And while none of us are special, I think there might be a few people you can say, you're really special. <laughs> don't, don't call them out right now. But, but, but the reality is we're all very unique. And, and, and I think it's a better way to understand it because we begin to understand that we're uniquely made to engage with the God of the universe on these areas where we're supposed to be managing them well. Now, a lot of us don't know how to do that. We don't know how to invest wisely. So one of the things that I'm doing 
is I'm going to launch a class on October 2nd, right after church, 1 p.m. Um, in that class, I'm going to show you how to manage those three areas to actually honor God in the best way that you can honor God. I do think that there there's modern versions, by the way, of people that invest very wisely in the kingdom. I, I was at a, ch- a church planning conference uh, recently in, in New York, and I got to meet a guy. He's, he's what we would call a social entrepreneur, and um, he's very gifted with business, but he's a pastor as well. And he felt specifically called to Boston. That's his home. And he and he felt specifically called to launch coffee shops because he knew how to do it. He knew how to launch them and do well with them. He launched five coffee shops. Now, this guy, now think about this. To, to, to rent five places in Boston to have coffee shops, he's having to invest about $55,000 a month. That's a lot of money in our world today. Now, what he does with that is he recoups all that by selling coffee to people and he makes a great profit because he knows how to manage a business. And he staffs every coffee shop, these five across Boston, with people that are having what we call gospel conversations. Conversations about faith, healing, hope, and Jesus, who's the one who gives all those things, by the way. And, 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 And while they're having these organic conversations all throughout the week, his coffee shop is closed on Sundays. You know why? Because they're having church across the city in those five coffee shops. He's the kind of guy that I think Jesus had in mind when he said had five and he made five. He's not special, but he's been uniquely made to be able to do that. Then there's a a friend of mine who attends our church right now and his wife, uh, Gerald and Pam Shockley. I love them. Uh, They're they're actually partnering to launch a halfway house right here in our community um, in Cambridge. And they're partnering with all kinds of different people. And Gerald and Pam uniquely know how to run a business and they know how to run these kind of things. They have a passion for it and they've been uniquely and wonderfully, fearfully made. It's called a Agape Love Transition Center. And they're going to help people that need just that, that, that hand up through some of the difficulties of life when they find themselves in a difficult place, find it and connect with it. Now, there's a lot of us. I'm one of the people I would say it falls in the one talent area. Um, you know, I got a few few talents, but but just you know, not that not, not the kind of guys described, but I want to be faithful with the one talent God. I've got friends like that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gifted with teaching and preaching. I've got friends that are gifted with music and I have some of that. Uh, but, but I also have friends that love to just do things like serve by uh, cooking for our church. Uh, Scott Paulson and, and uh, Josh and um, Phil, Tony Werner. I mean, I, I look at these guys and I'm like, you know, um, Josh and Phil Jr. love watching them cook and, and hang out and do things, do things at our church, especially in this area where we were cooking a few weeks ago. They were using their gifts, you know, their talents, because they love Jesus and they want to serve the church. They're taking and trying to invest wisely with what they have because they're uniquely made. And they're taking what they have and they're leveraging it to share it with people. There's people that serve in the children's ministry every week, like my wife who served back there this week and who also rearranged her. She's a, she owns a hair shop and she um, rearranged her entire schedule for months so she could go on because she works every Saturday, but she rearranged it for months so she could go on one Saturday to go and help Mr. William, a guy that we've been helping over in the Blackwater Refuge area that was flooded out of his home. She went there so she could paint, so she could show the love of Jesus to a man who needs it in this season. She chose wisely how to invest, and it cost her her time. 
It costs her her business time and dollars and money. It, it costs when you invest in the kingdom. But when you do and you invest wisely, you're one of those people that you get to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. I think one of the areas, it's one of the habits um, that we work on. You know, we have habits in our church, hang time with God, accountability, Bible study. I've decided recently to change the I, not to inspired service, because sometimes we just need to serve, whether we're inspired or not. We need to invest wisely, whether we feel or not. And so I, I feel like um, the right thing right now, and it could change again. I want to change the I right now to integral service, because it's. It, I think it's integral to what we should be doing. And maybe we can even change it to something simply like invest, but I feel like the I needs to change because I want people to understand you don't have to be inspired. You just have to be obedient. You just got to be obedient. So so, so reality, when we look at this uh, church family, is again, you need to choose wisely how you invest. And I don't think a lot of us choose wisely. I, I think we invest um, in areas that are not going to have a long-term investment or a long-term return in the lives of people and in the lives um, of those eternally. So we engage engage servants, people that are really engaged in serving. They value what's been entrusted to them. They choose wisely how they invest. And last, they, they balance giving with eternity in view. They balance giving uh, with eternity in view. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, we look at this and Jesus is returning. That, that's what's actually happening in this parable. That's why he's given this parable. He's returned. So it's the end of time. That's what's happened. And so these gentlemen had invested based on eternity. And I want to tell you, it wasn't their time, talent, treasure that was truly the talent. I believe the text says something deeper. I think the text really says that what was really of value was the gospel. The gospel is a term Christians use for the good news. It's the news that Jesus purchased our eternal lives with him. That he purchased our lives with his very blood when he died on the cross. If you've never heard about that, um, Jesus, who lived a few thousand years ago, died a horrid death so that people could have a relationship with God because it says it's only through the shedding of blood. The scripture says this, that we can have eternal life or forgiveness. And so Jesus did that. He shed his blood in a unique way to purchase our eternal residence, but also our current joy. And I think that's the greatest, most valuable thing that God has ever purchased or given to humanity. It's not your finances. It's not your time. It's not your gifting. Let's not be so narcissistic. The greatest thing that God has ever given us is his very own son to die for us. And if you don't believe me, look look at look at the terms about the well done, good and faithful servant, but but go beyond that and look at the terms when he begins to speak to the the servant that wasn't faithful. Because I think there is when you begin to see that this is the gospel. Look at verse 24. Two key texts. We're just going to look at them. 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now, now, now church family, when you hear that, those, those words and the idea of scattering seed, that's consistent with another place in Scripture 
where the seed is symbolized as the gospel. It's the good news about the kingdom of God, of what Jesus has done. So I think the real treasure here, the real talent, is the gospel itself. It's the gospel itself. Look, he says, so I was, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. That's another place that we know the gospel can be squandered away and hidden. See here what belongs to you. The gospel is what belongs to God. There's nothing we can do to purchase it. He has to give it to us. And so when we look at what happened to the faithful servant, it's another indication that this is about the gospel. Because if this was just about managing stuff and time and stewardship of things, it seems that Jesus' words are harsh to the servant. So what did he mismanage some stuff? We all mismanage our stuff. But is it really worth being thrown out into darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth? He's talking about hell. That this servant was unfaithful and so he's thrown into hell. And the reason that he's saying that is not because he mismanaged things. The reason he's saying that is if you balance this idea within the eternal view, he's saying that this person took the gospel and he hid it away and never shared it with anybody. He took the one thing that God meant to give to the whole world, he hoarded it, and he never shared it with another soul. Which means, was he really a follower of Jesus? Or was he just a consumer? There's a lot of people in the church, I am I am concerned that you are consuming Christian faith, Christian content, Christian messages, Christian worship, Christian programs, but you've never engaged with the mission of Christ, which is really what Christianity is about. You see, those that really know Jesus have a living relationship with Jesus. You know, they share Jesus. They share this gospel. They share this good news of what he's done in their life. They can't help but share it because of what he's done in their life. They share how Jesus saved them. They share how Jesus rescued them. They share how Jesus loves them. They share how Jesus encouraged them, upholds them, serves alongside of them, challenges them, sends them, empowers them. Their whole lives are structured around a relationship with Jesus because they understand that this gospel is the only gospel that changed their lives and they want other people to get a hold of it. That's the great treasure. And they balance eternity with that saying, I don't want anyone to not go to heaven. You see, we shouldn't be worried about the return of Jesus as much as we're worried about when he returns, will we have been found faithful with the gospel and sharing it with people that need it so they can be in heaven with us. Is this where you are? You see, the gospel is simple. It's in the admission of that you and I are a sinner. We're both sinners. All of us are. That Christ died for us. He paid for our sin when he died, the hard death that he died on a cross when he was nailed there. And then beyond that, the people that really embraced the hope that Jesus has purchased them, they commit their lives to his mission in a way that people look at and they're like, that's crazy. You'd sell your car to give those people? Yes. You'd rearrange your business <laughs> and maybe not even be as profitable so you can help a church launch or be birthed or, or reach people with this good news. Yes. You, 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 wait a minute. You, you wouldn't go to a travel ball game because you got something at church? Yes. Reality. People that embrace this kind of gospel balance it because they see that people are going to go into eternity without knowing Christ, and when you don't know Jesus, you're thrown out into that darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, you spend eternity separated from him in hell. And that should 
motivate us. It should break our hearts for our family and friends that don't know Jesus. Does it break your heart for your families or someone you know that doesn't know Jesus that you stay up at night and you pray for and you're committed to sharing the good news with? It's when you share the good news with those folks out of love and compassion with wisdom and investment that you'll hear one day good and faithful servant. You see the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. That is the greatest gift and talent God has given us. So this week, what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to invest with the end in mind. Invest with the end in mind. Because of how you invest when Jesus returns and the end of time comes into play, how many people will be in heaven because you shared with them, because you loved them, because you, like Christ, laid down your life for them? How often will you serve your church family to see children come to know Jesus, to see others come to know Jesus? See, this is about investing. It's not about taking. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, I just pray right now for each and every person that's listening to this message. I pray that they would know you the way I know you as the one who's forgiven my sin. Father, we admit our sin before you, that we are sinners only saved by grace. Father, we put all of our belief and our trust and our hope in Christ alone, that he is the one who has forgiven our sin. And it is because of his forgiveness that we are forgiven. It's because of what he did on the cross that we can know peace and know it abundantly. Father, we commit our lives to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would come inside of us, live within us, motivate us to share this great good news that every person who calls upon your name will be Save not only in this life, but in the next. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed with me, make sure you let me know. Uh, tell me how I can um, essentially um, serve you and uh, help you in your new faith. Uh, a couple things in closing. I just want you to know uh, you can sign up for Giving with Grace to learn more about the stewardship of this this idea of using our lives. Um, uh, and leveraging them for the mission of Jesus. That's, uh, again, on October the 2nd at 1 p.m. would love for you to take that class. Uh, you'll find that in our announcements. They come out every week. And then I want to let you know of a real tangible way that you can begin to really serve your neighbors and your friends. Um, we're, we're implementing a new thing called Bless Every Home. It's a website that we're connecting with and partnering with. Um, this is the, the URL code. You can actually take a picture of this real quick on your phone. It'll take you to a place where you can sign up. Um, you can put in blesseveryhome.com if you're on a computer and get there. And what I want you to do is put your, your name and your address in there. Um, they're not going to abuse your name and address, but what they are going to do is they're going to start sending you actual names of people that live in your area, your community around you um, that you can pray for. I, I believe that as we begin to pray for our neighbors and love our neighbors and engage our neighbors, um, that we'll be living out this talent of sharing the gospel and the good news with those that are closest to us that need to hear this good news. And I believe in doing that, we're building up for ourselves <laughs> um, um, real um, treasure in heaven where we can hear good and faithful servant. Well done.
And so that's my hope. So make sure you take a picture of this. Make sure you get uh, blesseveryhome.com. Um, I'm going to send this out also a couple times uh, this week, uh, different ways on Facebook, uh, email, texting, because I really want to get our church praying. And not just praying for internal for the things that we're, we're struggling with, but praying specifically for our neighbors, because I believe that God is, is very engaged in answering prayer. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to today's message. I want to apologize again for the technical problem we had. I hope that today's message is a blessing to you, a blessing to your family, and that it's something you can share. Uh, get out there. Share the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. It's, it is the power that changes the lives of people around us. And If you have any questions, reach out to me. I would love to pray with you and, uh, and also learn how I can best serve you um, so that you can serve the kingdom of Christ. Have a blessed Sunday.